How do you say it will be all right when you know that might not be true? Children will listen. Children will see and learn. Adults, too, we listen. We see and learn. What are we teaching? What are we doing? What things that we were taught are we trying to unlearn? How do we build a new way? We're talking today about masculinity, about men and maleness, which means we're talking about things that are hard to talk about, talking about things that are heavy and real. Raymond Carver says of his friends, things are not going that well for them right now, or perhaps they are going better than ever because they are talking about things that matter. Do you feel that way as a society right now that things are not going that well, except maybe they are because we're talking about things that matter. And it's hard because it matters. But maybe there's a new way and we're building it. Children are listening and watching. We are listening and watching. Do you feel that way as a person? That when it comes to gender and power and fear and violence and healing and matters of the heart, that maybe things are not going that well for you right now. But maybe things are going better than ever because you're dealing with things that matter. Joseph Campbell, whose work on mythology inspired not just Robert Bly's classic Iron John, but also George Lucas's Star Wars, Joseph Campbell wrote that the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. So I want to ask you to come with me and enter the cave. I don't know that we will walk out with the treasure, not in one lifetime, maybe, not in one hour, for sure. But I know that if we don't work on this, we will remain stuck, personally and socially. So before we start splunking in this, spelunking in this cave, I want to give some safety instructions. Very important safety instruction. First safety instruction, the question of masculinity is always intersectional and cultural. What it means to be male is different in different cultural groups, for different generations, of course, and for different economic classes. It's tied in with ability and income and religion And it's tied to sexual orientation and gender identity and history, of course. There's no universal masculinity across time and space. Our experiences vary wildly. So you have to interpret these questions in that intersectional way for yourself. But breaking open the box of masculinity And noticing its variety isn't just a safety instruction before we go into the cave. It's also the first way in which we begin to form less toxic men. To provide more freedom, to see the beauty in difference. Instead of forcing everyone to conform to one version of being men. Just like 
Third wave feminism embraces lots of ways to be a woman. Non-toxic masculinity will affirm many ways to be a man. Second, safety instruction. Some folks don't identify as men or women. I do not want here to reify a gender dualism because that very gender dualism is one of the toxic things we want to challenge. I want to affirm right now that men and women aren't the only genders, that gender is complicated, and that each person's naming and claiming of their gender identity should be honored. Doing that helps us break the toxic hold of rigidity. And, and sometimes our appropriate caution about this means we have a hard time talking about being men. That because we can't draw a clear line and say exactly what it is that we don't discuss it at all. In a way, talking about masculinity is like talking about whiteness. Our society says that white is normal and everyone else has race, but that white people don't have race. And it says that man is normal. Even language says, oh, man means everyone, as if. People still think that's true. They use man to mean everyone, but it's a way of making one thing normal and everything else different, that only people who are not men have genders. This is nonsense. And it is also deeply unhelpful. Because what is unnamed and unexamined can fester and have power on us that we don't mean for it to have. So in talking about masculinity, I don't want to erase anyone else. I want to shine a light in the cave where we often fear to tread. With those safety instructions, we can begin. I know that there are men out there who are happy and satisfied, at least they seem to be, with toxic masculinity. There are men who aren't interested in equality. They don't want to grow or challenge patterns of violence, oppression, and power. There are some I know who think suffrage was a mistake, that date rape is a myth, that women's responsibility for all the emotional labor is appropriate, and so on and so forth. I know there are men out there who think this way, and their behavior is destructive and hurtful and sometimes murderous. These men might exist in your families, in your workplaces. I know they live in our neighborhoods. I've met a few of them, I'm sure, in passing. But honestly, I don't know that many. That's not the circle I run with. When I was a kid, my Unitarian Universalist church taught me to speak up against sexist jokes and behavior. They were careful what they taught their children. Recently, I've been wondering, though, I hear these stories in the news about groups of men in high school, groups of boys, and, oh, we all did this kind of thing. I, I didn't do that kind of thing. And I, they got together, they had experiences I never had. And I wonder if my failure to conform to the rules of toxic masculinity, even at age 11 and 12 and 13, cost me friendships. Maybe it's 
One reason I was so lonely back then and why most of my male friends to this day are other liberal ministers. Honestly, I can count on less than one hand my male friends who are not liberal ministers. It's not the men who embrace patriarchy as the natural or of order of things that I want to talk about today. I don't know how many of those kind of men live in Madison anyway. Right. It's easy to point to them and say, grow up, stop it. So I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about the rest of us. The rest of us men, the people I know, those of us who are trying to resist the system and sometimes paying the price for it. Those of us who are trying to build a new way because our conscience and our love calls us to do so, trying to teach our own boys better ways than maybe we were taught, trying to figure out how to live differently in a world that's confusing and where there are both gains and losses when you try to be a different kind of man. So I want to tell you about some of the men that I know, men who are being less Toxic. Maybe some of these stories might resonate with some of you. I know a man who is working hard on not being such a Mr. Fix-It when it comes to emotions. When someone says, I feel bad, sad, mad, anxious, hurt, he's working on saying, I hear you. I care for you. Tell me more if you want to. Instead of saying, have you tried... Or, I have a book for you to read about that. This is really hard. He wants to be helpful, and fixing problems is how he knows how to be helpful. A middle ground he's trying out is the phrase, do you want empathy or advice? He said that once to a girlfriend, and she replied, I want the empathy today and the advice tomorrow. Which is what he did. It turned out to be a good strategy. It worked well. He's working on not fixing other people's emotions, but what's even harder, a lot harder it turns out, is not fixing his own. That's really the challenge. He doesn't know what to do with emotional distress, with any strong emotions at all. He wants to fix them in himself. And being empathetic to his own heart and binding his own wounds, that's even harder. And it's not just inside himself. Once he asked that same girlfriend for empathy, he said, this really hurts, this thing I'm going through. And, and she said, we'll fix it. Men's emotional distress, strong feelings, are troubling to many men. And they're often troubling to women, too. Every man I know who has tried to live a more emotionally in-tune life to express their feelings instead of holding them in until they become rage, and rage is the one feeling men are allowed to have under a system of toxic masculinity, every man I know who has tried to do this has at least once, if not hundreds of times, been undercut, attacked, or belittled, both by other men and by women. Man up, we say. This is why the story of Big Bob and Little Bob and Blossom spoke to me. Because it's both 
boys and girls who have learned from us, they listen well, who enforce these rules. It isn't just men enforcing them to other men. Breaking free of toxic masculinity isn't just the work of men. It's mostly our work, but it's not just our work. People who are not men need to be okay with men having feelings, with not fixing things, with not always being strong. Because the way that that children's story ends, that's the world that we want, right? We want both of the Bobs and Blossom to be included and free and welcome as they are to play the way they want to play and be the person they want to be. So I love the way that little Bob sees Blossom's shame after she's been attacked by Big Bob and steps in to welcome her back. That's building a new way. If we spend our time attacking each other for being too masculine or not enough or too judgmental or not enough, then we won't learn to be free, free to be our best and truest self. Another man I know, another story. He's a good man. He's trying hard to go another way to be less toxic, but he has a very particular version of the Mr. Fix-It problem, the go-it-alone syndrome. He thinks inside that his worth as a man is about providing, taking care, being in charge. A good man doesn't need help to change a tire or pay the bills or run the meeting or repair the world. Every now and then our hearts, even now, our hearts are wary of the friend we need so much. Even now our hearts are wary. Marge Piercy, the poet, says in the world of freedom and community that she envisions in her poetry, men need to, in her words, learn to stop dancing solos on the ceiling. Those words resonate for some of us, don't they? But this man that I know for all his life, competence was rewarded and neediness was punished. You figured it out all by yourself. Good job. Children, listen. He's so independent. Children, listen. But this man, he's trying. He's getting better at asking for help. Not just advice so that he can solve it himself. That's one kind of help. He's actually asking for help in solving it. That's different. It's hard. There are few more liberating and terrifying words than I need Liberating because it frees us from the illusion of independence and moves us to the truth of interdependence because someone will say, someone will say, how could anyone ever tell you that you were anything but beautiful? Someone will say that. But it's also terrifying because when you say, I need, someone else will say, what's wrong with you? You're weak take responsibility for yourself, they'll say. And every man in this room knows that something deep inside us, something ancient and evolutionary, reacts to those words in a primal way, with anger, with withdrawal, with lashing out, and sometimes with violence. It gets at our sense of survival, that if we're not strong enough, we'll be abandoned and rejected, and that rejection feels like death. Worse, even, 
better to die for honor than be rejected. So part of what we need to show each other is more compassion, more care. And part of what we need to do is redefine our terms. Strength isn't the ability to go it alone. Strength is the capacity to be part of your community. Responsibility isn't taking care of it yourself. Responsibility is working with others to solve it together. This is a big shift in the meaning of these words, a shift of hearts and minds. It's about imagining a different kind of warrior. Robert Bly's Iron John, which was published when I was 13 years old, was a kind of touchstone to many men of my dad's generation, and I bet to some of you. There were drum circles and guys' camping trips and attempts to figure out how to nurture a warrior who knew how to play, a hero who brought people together in common work, not by conquering, but one who knew that in the cave we fear to tread lies our deepest treasure. What happened to that moment in time society pushed back? Remember the the angry male that just came right after this? It was hard. Some sustained it. Some of you, I bet, kept at it. I'll tell you that among the people in the church that I serve are some of the people who kept at it, who inspire me to keep trying to be a less toxic man. Some of them have made that hero's journey and found the treasure and kept traveling and sharing it with others, and I bet that's true of some of you too. But many never took the first step, and many stopped when the costs felt larger than the gains. It's hard. I think that if we say toxic masculinity must go, it's like saying white supremacy must end. Well, yes, okay. But saying it doesn't make it so. It doesn't deal with the way in which these systems work, work to reward compliance and to punish deviation, to shape our very hearts and our desires. Things are not going well for us right now. Oh, Mesopotamia. Maybe things are going better than ever because we're talking about things that matter. Secrets that were kept too long are being told. Wounds are uncovered, but in the fresh air they might finally heal. We're building a new way. And it's really hard. Building a new way of being interdependent and free, at once connected and diverse, loved and loving, heart-centered and open. A new way is the world we seek, the treasure. But we can't get there without going in the cave. And I'm scared because I don't know how to fix it. And I need your help. And that's okay to say that out loud. You know what? It feels great to say that out loud. So maybe the men in the room want to repeat after me. I don't know how to fix it. I need your help. And maybe everybody can say that. It's good for everybody. I don't know how to fix it. I need your help. We are building a new way, a way where we bind each other's wounds again, where with love that casts out fear, we see how beautiful everyone is, everyone is, and how much we need, how much we need to be loved and to love, how much we need to work, to have work that matters, how much we need to feel and be noticed, 
how much we need to dance and be real. If we wish to form a world with less toxic visions of masculinity, then what we must do, all of us, is to see ourselves and each other as beautiful, loving, complicated, needy, wounded, hopeful, anxious, longing persons. In other words, to practice the central teaching of our faith, that every night a child is born is a holy night, and that every child, every child, every person is holy, loving, and lovable, wounded, and healing, never enough by themselves, always enough in the embrace of radical love. It will be hard, we know, but the children are listening. They are watching and reading and learning, and theirs after them, and theirs after them. The treasure, freedom, and connection, the treasure we long for awaits. Start with love, that is the seed, and let us find the new way traveling together. Amen.